All right, welcome back to season two of the 90th percentile. This is your host, Jeff Ponce, of course, of Baseball America. Excited to jump back into season two here. The first guest that we have on is a big one coming from the college baseball world. Obviously, big fan of college baseball in general, but Travis Benzana of Oregon State. Travis, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm great. Thank you. Doing good, doing good. I think the first thing I wanted to chat about a little bit is your background. This is what we do typically with all the guests, but your background's a little bit different. You're coming over here as a college player. You're from Australia. You grew up in Australia. You grew up playing in Australia. So I'm interested to learn a little bit about discovering the game, popularity of the game over there, and just what your journey was to come over here and come stateside. We'll we'll take it from there, man. Yeah, it started with my dad playing when he was younger. And I was a young guy and my older brothers were playing because dad played and it was his favorite sport as a kid, his best sport. And so I was around the field because of my brothers. And then, yeah, I just found a passion and took it from there. And yeah, the Australian scene is a little bit different. I didn't really play with people my age from about eight years old. I just always played up and that was always comfortable because the quality of play isn't somewhat like it's not great it's just decent and so i was able to play above my age and be around all the guys and then that progressed when i was like 15 and was able to get an opportunity to be around the ab and play in the abl with guys that have done it at the highest level and up and coming 20 year olds as well so a big range and it was just a different path but uh yeah it was great but it started with my dad yeah i was gonna say and it's probably unique just From the perspective of over here, certainly in a lot of Latin American countries, there's like a very organized in, I'll say, attended, populated sort of youth demographic. I assume there's some sort of little league there, right? Or some form of the little league association. Did you play in something like that? Or was it even like you were way beyond that even by the time you were like, yeah, (laughs) no, no. So that was like, that was what. As I was coming through juniors, that was the main real focus of junior development in Australia was like, we played through the Little League formats and the Little League just like tournament. The goal as a kid was always to play your district's team, your kind of club travel team and, and try to go to the Little League World Series. So I had a couple shots at that, trying to go to the Little League World Series and then continued through that Little League type format all through juniors. That was a big focus. Yeah, that was where I got my highest quality baseball was playing in national championships through that format in in Australia. And then, as you said, you start playing in the Australian league at 15, 10 years younger than the average age of competition there. Played three years there. In terms of like limited game experience, where were you getting game reps? And what was the benefit of that just to the development before you came over here for school, of course? I think understanding like a pro approach and like l- being able to learn from 31 year olds that are in AAA that are fighting for their dream and they've had the whole like young journey and they've got so many experiences and they've been through so much ups and downs, adversity of the pro route, college route, whatever it is that I can take and learn so much that I'm about to get into moving forward from that, that it put me in a position where I felt ready stepping across the line in the US. I felt mature to go on a college visit like it just put me in a position where i had an understanding and it allowed me to be confident in myself and what i knew to go put myself out there yeah it's like you're uh, taking reps at shortstop as a 15 year old behind gifting gope who was a, a big leaguer like i'm coming up with the best young talent that's three four years older than me playing on uh tournament teams in the u.s with curtis Mead, who's now a top prospect like 
just so many different experiences, different people from different places. You learn a great amount about how to approach the game and where you can take things the wrong way, the right way to where it put me in a mature position moving forward. And and you just mentioned a lot of those different names. So jumping forward a little bit, you do make the decision to come stateside. I guess the first thing I'm going to ask is, was there already somewhat of a support system or just at least people within baseball that you knew on this side from your three years experience in Australia, plus the national team, some of those things with folks that that had already come over. Sorry, I missed that last like 20 seconds. I'm so sorry, but I think my Wi-Fi just cut out a little bit. If you could run that last question, just back. Yeah, no, no sweat at all. But I was going to say, jumping forward to when you do come stateside, you do come over here to the United States, based on all that experience that you had in the Australian leagues and just playing in Australia with some of the top players in the country as well that had already come stateside, was there already a support system before you would come over here or just to people that you could look to within, we'll say like the American baseball world for advice? To a certain extent, yes, but... Part of it, no, because there wasn't many, really anyone that had been on the path that I was taking within the last 20 years in Australia. So it was like, I was going into a power five school for division one baseball and no one had done that in Australia straight out of high school in the previous time I could remember. I think the last guy like that went to a power five school before me straight out of high school might've been Craig Shipley who played in the big leagues a long time ago with the Padres primarily, I believe. So yes, I had support systems that were mentors, but I was also felt like I was stepping in a place that I, not many people before me had done. So it was a little bit new, the power five college route and everyone, a good amount of people back home felt that was a too big a step coming from Australia. I hadn't had the reps and I wasn't going to be strong enough. It was reasons to why it wouldn't work going to a school like Oregon State out of high school from Australia because they felt like the jump was too great. And so I had a support system, but I also had a lot of, is this the right decision? Maybe you should go to junior college. Maybe you should do this because Australians aren't prepared to take that big jump. And I just felt like I could get ready and do it. And yeah, I'm here now, but yeah. I definitely had great supporters. That's good. And I, and I think the, had this period, I'm sure, um, were there a lot of schools that, that you visited? Was it more like Zoom contact? Like how was all that handled? Cause I'm sure at some point the whole 2020 thing and the pandemic and all that sort of intersected all this. So it was extremely fast. I decided that I was committed to going to college early 2019. I'd say that I was 98% sure that was going to be the route I was taking and I didn't know where I was going to, but I went to Arizona, the Arizona Fall Classic in October of 2019 with the goal of coming out of it with a college scholarship somewhere good. Didn't know if that was going to be junior college or division one or division two, whatever it was. But yeah, I played at the Arizona Fall Classic in October of 2019. And that's really where the eyes were able to see me play. And I had visits and offers that came straight from that. And it was a really quick period. It was like, I went to Arizona. It was meant to be a two week, two and a half week trip. A week and a half in, I had colleges willing to offer scholarships and, and I was taking official visits and unofficial visits within that period. So I had two and a half weeks and I took, I think four, four or five visits. And then like about two or three weeks after that, I was 
100% committed to being a beaver. And yeah, so it happened all late October, 2019. Commit, everything obviously happens after that period, but you do end up coming stateside 2021. You play in the summer 2021 in the West Coast League with Corvallis, which is typical of Oregon State players, of course. And yeah. you, you had a great summer. You hit 429, 471. 593. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, but follow my work, obviously I'm a big Cape Cod League guy out here in Massachusetts. West Coast League, probably one of the top wooden bat leagues outside of sort of Northwoods and the Cape. Sorry, I, my kids just are like attacking each other upstairs right now for some reason. <laughs> really professional. But as I said, you, you go out, you play in the West Coast League with Corvallis, one of the sort of top wooden bat leagues that's out there. What was that experience like? Was there any sort of culture shock? Obviously not. You matched, the numbers were great. Uh, what was your initial impression, your first taste of like American baseball? Structure, resources, coaching was just like on another level and the way the game was broken down and how many little details I could take away from one game, one win, one loss, talking to the coaches. I learned so much deeper knowledge about winning first off, but I think it was like, I came over here knowing I'd put the work in to have success. Like I, I really felt like I was ready. But I didn't know what the level was going to be. The only idea I had of the level of college baseball I was going to play or even summer league was video and yeah, pretty much just video and talking to people. But I was just like, I've put the work in. I think I'm going to be ready. And it was more on the offensive side of things. It was like, okay, yeah, I might not seen pitching in Australia, but I haven't seen velocity. And it was just like the idea okay, I'm not going to go into it. Oh, damn, this guy's throwing 90, 92. I've never really, I've seen that two or three times in my life. I'm not going to be scared. It's just, hey, start early, get down on time. There's no difference. There's nothing to be worried about. It's the same game, same pitch. Just got to be a myself, nothing. Like felt like I could have success and go out in there and do it. And I just rolled with it, had a lot of confidence and had a great summer. And just the people around me made it so easy. The Corvallis Knights quality organization and the coaching and from top to bottom, it was just wonderful. Everything settles in. You start school. As you said, you go home, back to Australia over, over that winter break period. You come back and you get to work. You have a really strong spring campaign as a true freshman. In the midst of that, the draft rules change because you would have been a draft eligible sophomore based on when your birthday is. You're in August, but you're after that August 1st date. So you're no longer eligible. How does that sort of adjust your, because obviously the off-season plans are in the works being discussed even prior to your spring season starting. So how did that sort of adjust your off-season approach? Because I know you were committed to Falmouth here in the Cape Cod League. You're headed back there this summer. Yeah. How did you adjust your approach? And I think we can get into a little bit more about what you were working on and what your specific goals are for next year. But how did that sort of change in the middle of the years almost impact what was to come? Yeah, so I I got that news and obviously it changes my path to the draft just simply by having two summers, not one summer. And my understanding and like goals was I'm going to go to the Cape Cod League and show what I can do because that has a big impact on MLB scouting departments and also it's like an experience that I think I really wanted to take in considering the history and the quality of players I was going to play against so I was like a long time back when I committed I told myself after my freshman season I wanted to go to the Cape and that goal was coming alive and then 
I get the news that I had two summers and knowing my game and how I felt about my spring season, I felt like it always comes back to the kind of the long goal, the long vision and seeing myself in six months, 12 months, four years. And it's what's the benefit of playing two summers in the Cape versus balling out for one and developing the ceiling that I need to then play my sophomore junior spring Cape in the junior year. What's the pros and cons? And I broke it down for a week or two and I was like, I know how much I know how much I can gain from taking time away from the field aspect and just breaking down my game, strengths, weaknesses, and going, this is what I'm going to work on. I'm going to get my body, I'm going to become more athletic, swing, break it all down and just go to work and give myself time to develop. And I saw the power in that. And that's where I made that decision to pull out of going to the Cape and just, and go to work. Yeah. Knowing that I could go to the Cape a year later and show that I could compete with a wooden bat against pro level arms draft guys was a no-brainer when I really broke it down I went to my coaching staff and came with a plan and told them hey this is what I want to work on this is how I'm going to make those jumps and are you guys open to it and they had a couple conversations with me and pretty quickly they gave me that opportunity to proceed to go to driveline and train versus go to the Cape Cod League so let's talk a little bit about that. You mentioned taking that time away, weighing the pros and cons on what you're going to do, but also discussing and sort of being honest with yourself about what your strengths and weaknesses are, which I always think is an interesting conversation. Just like something I think every professional like myself included tries to do that self-evaluation, just what can I get better at? What was bad? What was good? What were the strengths and weaknesses in your game? Like entering the summer, coming out of your first year here stateside, what were the things you're like, Hey, I did this well. I can build off of this. And what were the things you're like, I need to improve in this area? Yeah. So I, I could go on for a while, but I'm going to just try to break it down fast. So the way I see it is like, I break it into my five tools pretty much just to make it simple for myself. So it's all right, hit tool. My swing decisions will average to below average in the spring season and some other things like made up for my offensive production, but swing decisions weren't great. I was chasing sliders in my back foot pretty consistently and hit his counts. I, my chase rate was through the roof because I'd be like, I got to get him on this pitch, 2031. This is my chance to do damage. And then I just swing at everything. There was just certain things in my different counts. Swing decisions were average to below average in my spring season. And I know that I see the ball really well. And when I'm at my best, like that's a vital part of my game. And I felt like I was up and down. And at times I was chasing production versus sticking to what I know in my confidence and stepping in the box with there's no way this gets guy gets me out mindset just that pure confidence and not thought about mechanics and a certain outcome that was harming me a little bit and my swing decisions got worse so I knew my swing decisions needed to be worked on first off with the hit tool and my bat to ball skills were above average and they always have been and I was like okay I'm not really going to whiff in the zone so I've got to make sure I don't swing out of the zone and everything will come together. And so in the summer, the resources I had for that was like every day I was hitting against the iPitch machine, which is advanced in the pitching machine community because it can throw at game speeds with game spin, game movement and have an arsenal. And it was from a game distance. So I was facing that every day along with the tracking technologies in the cage that allowed me to see if I was swinging at balls and strikes at driveline. So every pitch I swung at, I was able to see where I swung and fastball, slider, chain, et cetera. And so I was constantly training the idea of knowing the zone. 
And so that was, I made huge jumps because I was able to decipher swinging at balls and strikes during my training environment. And also talking to the people around me, whether it was driveline people and just resources and networks I've built and asking questions like, hey, what are the best guys, big league is this best like low chase guys, what are their approaches and what do they do best? And I built a real jump in, in that skill itself. So I came into the fall, this fall, and I had a 6% chase rate, which is absurd. And it's a small sample size. It's a small sample size. It's just the fall. And I went to Taiwan. But the point is like my, I went from a 20 plus, like maybe a 26% chase rate to a 6% chase rate, small sample size, but it's still the difference that I was trying to make. That's hit tool. And then I was like, all right, pal, I, my damage was about average in college baseball. Um, and I know there was more in the tank, just being able to pure the ball with good spin and good launch to the pull side was going to be a big jump I needed to make. And then just building strength and bat speed to elevate those miss hits and hopefully increase production. So I knew that was something that I need to make an intentional plan for. And then I felt like I defended well. I've made the routine play consistently in the spring season, which is something me and Darwin Barney worked really hard to do. Um, but yeah, there was still jumps to be made left to all of that. So I think increasing my athleticism and also hip mobility was huge to just be comfortable moving and creating that extra step. And then arm strength, my arm held up really good in the spring season. I didn't really need to let anything eat from second base. And I felt like I could do it when I needed to. So that was a bonus of a quality throwing program and, and getting my body right in the summer with my arm grew and got better and it's been healthy consistently, but I, it wasn't a great intention of mine. It was just part of the process. And then speed is I'm always chasing I'm always chasing more speed. It's just a passion of mine. I watch Olympic sprinters all the time. I train with track coach back home. It's like, I want to be the fastest guy on the field. And I know that being the fastest guy on the field is not going to get you, uh, not going to get you the big payday nowadays, but it will, it's going to help. And it's part of the way I impact the game. And yeah, this in the strength training component and just sprint sprint work in the summer it's also just developing that that tool and trying to get out of the box and reading reading and learning on base running and the rest of it to try take that up a notch so I just broke down my tools and saw I need to work on and made a plan I felt offensively that driveline had the resources to where I could work with myself my own plan and them and just bounce back and forth to make the jumps I needed to and I felt I made a really good made, made really good strides in the summer but yeah it's just facing where you're weak asking people questions like, Hey, like what's the difference between this guy that's a first rounder and me right now? What does he do better? Why? Okay. Like why is X, Y, Z MVP candidates? What do they do better? What's their approach? Like just trying to pick from every little resource, books, people, like whatever it was to find out how I can take my game to the next level. And I've always been like that from a younger age. So it was, it was great for me and I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's, I think it's really interesting the way you talk about incorporating other players' games or at least certain elements of their games that you maybe modeled improvements or looked to almost as like teaching tools with. Were there any players in particular that stick out? Like maybe even anyone that surprises us, but like when you're looking at the power things, the, I know you mentioned chase rates. What do those guys do? Well, the MVP candidates are obvious, but are there any guys like in particular, like you really 
enjoy digging in on video or whatever. Yeah. Maybe even picking like, guys' brains around the cage at driveline, depending upon yeah. what it was. So I'm just, the first thing that comes to mind and like, just by far and away hitting wise, it was Juan Soto. So for me, I was very forward hinged in my swing and like bent over when I was striding towards the ball, which ha made me like susceptible to the high bit a little bit. And also my sights were like down below the knees really well. And I took from that a bunch and the postural side of things with Soto and the idea that like he, I feel like he was hunting something up, which like took him away from chasing down a little bit. And then, yeah, just guys like Trey Turner that do everything really well, picking and picking apart different people and especially people my size offensively. So it's, it's hard for me to compare myself and try to be like Aaron Judge for an exaggerated example. But I can look like a guy like Jose Ramirez, Jose Altuve, Mookie Betts, those kind of bodies, those kind of like frames and be like, what are they doing to be consistently top 10 hitters in the major leagues that I can take from and putting it into my own game? I'm, it's that because that's just the desire to be better, but in a smaller, in a less big league environment, I'm competitive. I'm competitive. So it's like, I see someone that is doing something better than me. And it's like, why are they doing something better? I want to be the best at that on the field, just being competitive in my own head and taking from it and asking questions, I'd say. Yeah. And it's interesting, of course, you know, who better to pick from than Juan Soto, but also the certain types of players that you picked out there in terms of body types and just some of their strengths and guys, I think that do a little bit of everything well, and certainly speed is an element to their game in, in, in addition to hitting the ball hard and having advanced hit tools. And I think if you look at all of them, their approaches have gotten even tighter over the years. So certainly an interesting group there to pick from. The last thing I wanted to ask, just because it's where we'll leave off here, what was the experience at, at driveline? I think we hear about it all the time. It's a constant with, with the driveline, with driveline this summer, it could be pitchers, it could be hitters. But I'm interested just from a firsthand perspective of somebody going in there, I'm assuming like training over a long period of time for the first time. What was that experience like? Was there sort of anything like even just walking in the doors that you're just struck by? Yeah, I'd, I'd say like, it's just, an, first off, it's an incredible facility with the resources, the size of the facility, the way things run so smoothly, the systems that like each player has to know they can just step in the facility and get to work every day. It's just, it's wonderful. So that was first off, wow, this is going to be a good spot. It's going to make it easy for me to make gains. But just the way that within the first week and assessments, I was able to break down my swing and ball flights and compare it with, and like, it just totally tied in my head. And then it was like, all right, how can I make a plan? How can we make a plan to attack the things that we really need to attack the lowest hanging fruits and come out of here a better player. And they just made that really easy, welcomed me, embraced me. And I was just able to have great conversations and learn a lot as well as yeah, just get after it, but it, the way that, yeah, the way that everything was broke down for me early on made it easy for me to commit to a plan. And it was struggles at first. Like I, cause we're facing a challenging training environment there. When I'm trying to make swing change, it's like making swing change is easy off the tee because there's no variables. Making swing change off a 90 mile per hour heat is hard because you're going to go back to old habit. Cause I'm not going to go change. It's really hard for my brain to 
try change something in my swing and then whiff five times against a 90 mile per hour fastball or 85 mile per hour slider, you want to go back to old habit because your body's like, I got to compete. There's high school kids in the cage behind me watching me hit. They know I'm the Oregon State kid. I don't want to look like a bum. I don't want to look bad. So you get this competitive nature. So I was fighting that. It's like, I'm trying to make a swing chain, but I, I don't want to struggle. It was just this whole thing. And I had a strong plateau between about week three and week five, where I didn't feel like I was making gains. I felt like I was struggling in the cage, but it was just like fighting old habit and trying to get into a spot where I was confident in a new, in a, just a slightly changed posture and turn it into the baseball. And like, I come in there on a Monday and was struggling. And one of the young hitting coaches, Thomas Rudinsky, who I don't believe is working there anymore, but he basically, we were trying to get my posture to stay up taller and then go down versus like, as soon as I pick my leg up, drop down and side bend heavy. And he's like, just hit from your back shoulder. So I like place my bat kind of right on my back shoulder in a spot that some hitting coaches would call the slot. And then I was literally just hitting from that slot. There was no, no load. I was loading my legs, coiling my hips, but I was just hitting from here. And it allowed me to like turn on a, like a proper plane. And I was like, wow. So I hit like that for two days and I was just squaring more balls up than I had in months. And then it just allowed me to find space to the inside pitch and hit the high fastball and adjust down to everything else, just being taller and swinging from like a, what people call a high turn, I'd say. And then I brought back my load and just kept that posture. And it just made, I made quantum leaps that next week or two to where my batter balls, my miss hits, like everything trended up. And, um, it really, I think it played into my swing decisions, just having a higher sights and not a moving head in my load. I was loading down like with my head and across myself. Versus being still and letting my body take over with a still head. I think it changed my swing decisions, my ability to have good swing decisions, as well as just damage baseball. So it was huge. And then I proceeded to progress and add bat speed and everything I wanted to do. And yeah, it seems to be paying off right now. Yeah. And as we head into the winter now and then the spring season next year, it sounds like we're going to get the Travis Benzada that we saw last year, speed bat to ball skills, the excitement in general with some power and a more discerning eye at the plate. And I think that could ultimately turn you into, if you're not already, but one of the top names in college baseball this spring. So Travis, I want to welcome you. Thank you for coming on to the show and wish you best of luck heading into the 2023 spring there. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jeff. It's been great. Thank you.